All right. Am I on? They're calling for me to preach the word, which is what we're going to do. Oh, nice. Oh, thank you, Lori. Thanks for that. We will preach the word in Matthew 26 in just a moment. Just a couple of things that I'll remind you of. One, I'm going to say one more time. Be sure and write your note if you want to participate today. Everybody gets the chance to participate. Uh, this How Sweet It Is is going to be our theme partly for our uh, for the day. Some of the songs we've already heard, the scripture that we've heard. Uh, a lot of it, for me, comes from one of my favorite singers in the world, and his name is James Taylor. How many of you have ever heard the song How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You? You guys know this song? You guys, most of you know it? Yeah. And uh, so... This is what we're talking about today, how sweet it is to be loved by God, how sweet it is to be loved by one another. And so you have the opportunity to write a a note of encouragement and love to somebody here in the circle. Also, I'm just going to reiterate what Wyatt said. We do have some some uh, uh, chances here during this week before Resurrection Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter, and we have several opportunities to kind of think about the last week of Jesus. And Thursday night is going to be one of those when we meet here and 13 men from our church put on a drama presentation. This will be an instrumental worship service, and we've made that clear here at Gateway. The leadership of Gateway believes that God is pleased with instrumental worship. We have a cappella worship in our Sunday morning uh, time because this is our tradition, and we love a cappella worship, and so does God. He loves that too. But we're going to have an instrumental worship service. There'll be a couple of guitars here, and we hope you'll come and be a part of that. It'll be at 7 o'clock on Thursday night, and that'll be a time to think about what is Jesus doing for me this week? It's the last week of his life. What's he doing for me? Pretty amazing. One other opportunity this week to think about that as well is that we have every year the Christian community here, all the different churches in town, get together for what's called Holy Week services. And we do those on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday at noon. So if you have a lunch hour from 12 to 1, you can join us, and there's ministers from all over the community uh, who are part of that. Uh, I'm going to get to do a reading at that one day. Josh, my son, is going to get to do uh, a deal, one of those this, this week. So those are Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at noon. Those are at the Catholic Church this year. They move them around every year, and this year it's going to be at the Catholic Church just across the street over here. So I hope you can participate in some of these things that help us think about the last week of Jesus' life leading up to what? Resurrection. The Sunday morning when the sun came up and the sun came up. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week. And our children are going to have that play next week that they're going to do of the resurrection. And that's going to be really encouraging as well. So I hope you'll participate in some of these things and be a part. You have, uh, you've come here when we're starting this series. Or not starting, we're in the middle of this series. And actually we're in the fourth week. And that's why we have all these turned around in a circle. We've, it's called Come to the Table. And that's what we're doing is we're looking at these times when Jesus ate with people. And we're sitting around this table right here. And this is the fourth week we've done it. Next week is our fifth week, and it'll be the last week we do this. And then we'll be putting everything back normal. You'll be able to look at the back of people's heads again. You'll be a lot more comfortable. Uh, Some of you that like it like this, you've just got this week and next week to enjoy it. Those of you who hate it like this, you just have to suffer this week and next week, and it'll be over. My favorite thing that's been said about this whole thing was I was talking with Elaine, and Elaine and I like to kid around with each other. And I, so I was kidding with her, and I said to Elaine, oh, I'm so sorry, Elaine, we're almost done with this time, you know, with the circle, and I know you love it, because I know she doesn't love it, she hates it. And uh, so I was saying, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, we're almost done. And she said, because I know you love this, she said, no, 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 no. This is unscriptural. 
<laughs> and then her and I both laughed because we know none of this has anything to do with scripture, how we have pews or buildings or not pews. I mean, none of that has to do with scripture at all. Zero. This is just some preferences, and it's something that we're using these five weeks to, uh, to enjoy a little bit different way of being together as a Christian family. One of the things we've done a couple, uh, at least one other time we're going to do this morning is I've had a guest come to the table. And this morning, before we preach from Matthew 26, I'm going to have a guest who's going to come up here, and we're just going to visit just a little bit. And I need another mic. I forgot to tell you that. And so Mary, here's Mary right here. Mary Harrell. Some of you know Mary, and some of you don't know her. But she's going to come up here and have a seat. And I want to have a little short conversation with her. Her and her husband, Roger, uh, came to Gateway 101 last night. Have a seat right here, Mary. We're glad you're here. And uh, they, they... I wonder if you might turn it down a little bit, maybe. Yeah, turn it down just a bit. Mary and her husband came to Gateway 101 last week and are planning to place membership here at Gateway, and we're glad to have them. And let's see if it'll work now. I think it's going to work. And Mary, I'm glad you're here. Thank you very much. I, uh, if I keel over, it's because this is the first time I've spoken publicly in a Church of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I've been a member 60 years, so uh, anyway, so far I can lean on well, the table, all, I guess. Well, it's okay. We have EMTs in the building, and everything will be fine. Okay. It's all right. Oh, that's great. So, so I just wanted Mary to share something with you guys. I'm just getting to know Roger and Mary, and one of the things I learned about Mary is that she loves to make cakes, and she <laughs> likes to take them to people's house. Tell us a little bit about that. All right, I will. Um, actually, I have to preface that with something else. I was the first woman inducted into the Rotary Club in southern New Mexico. Now I'm baking cakes. So I don't know what that says about my progress, but it's okay because <laughs> yeah, I think good. baking cakes is important. But uh, it all started uh, back about five years ago. Well, actually, earlier than that. Roger, my husband, was an elder in a couple of congregations. And as part of our ministry, uh, we chose hospitality. We used to have large groups over, like 12 people for dinner, and sit around and talk and laugh. And uh, Like one night, there were a couple of teachers there who told us their adventures of uh, uh, you know, driving the school bus way back or driving the bus with the basketball players. But anyway, that was a lot of fun for us. So um, five years ago, uh, Raj had open heart surgery. And uh, now chocolate cake and surgery, heart surgery, shouldn't be used <laughs> in the same sentence, right. but I will use them because I started baking. I had, had time on my hands, and, and then our son, John, came from Playa del Carmen, moved from Mexico up here to help me with Roger uh, as he recovered. So I started baking cakes, chocolate cakes, because John likes chocolate cakes. And then I decided, wait a minute, we don't really need to be eating all these chocolate cakes. How about if we give them away? So um, he was my partner in crime. And um, I would bake a big loaf, kind of a big long cake, and we'd divide it into four parts. And I said, let's deliver this to four different families. And that way we get to know people and see their circumstances and see if they need help, um, and get to know them better. And, and how have you found that people respond when you bring them a chocolate cake? Well, they're uh, usually surprised. Uh -huh. 
but it all turns out for the best. I'm sure it and, does. Uh, now, I've got to tell you one incident, though, uh, that was a little bit of a foul-up. I met Cora Medina Wednesday uh-huh. night for the first time here right. in the restroom. And I thought... <laughs> like she, you do. That's, you know, ladies she, do that. We Men, a, we don't do that. We don't meet anybody in the restroom. But we had, ladies, a, we do had that. a nice okay. little okay. chat. And um, she told me where she worked. And I went home and I said, you know, I think I'll take her some banana bread tomorrow at her workplace and get to know her better. Well, um, come to find out, she's allergic to bananas. <laughs> But I think she enjoyed it anyway. So, all right, you guys give okay. Mary a big okay. hand. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. We appreciate right. that. Thank you so much. You know, it's interesting that uh, Mary, in this ministry that she does, she she didn't choose to to cook Brussels sprouts and liver, right? Hey, I'm here at your house. Wanted to say hello. Here's some liver. You know. I mean, liver's probably healthy. It's probably good for you. It might be a nice gesture. But she didn't. She chose something sweet. She chose something sweet. So did God. So did God. Let's pray. And then we're going to, uh, we're going to read from Matthew 26. God, thank you. Thank you for babies and for grandparents. Thank you for bread and wine. Thank you, God, for seasons that are difficult and seasons of great joy. Thank you for our enemies and for our friends. Thank you, God, for the trials of this life and for the joy of the hope that we have because Christ died for us. God, we pray today that as we read that your Holy Spirit would teach us. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart might be acceptable in your sight. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 26 is where we are. If you'd like to read along, Matthew 26 beginning in verse 16. As we pull ourselves up to the table here and we're at the last supper is where we are today. We're joining the table. We're gathering around the table with the other people in the text, and we're going to see what does it feel like to sit here at this table today. Matthew 26, verse 16. From then on, Judas watched. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go to the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I'll tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. They were very sad. They begin to say to him one after the other, Surely not me, Lord, not I. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had been not been born. 
And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, we've read this story so many times. It's just almost old hat. But tell me this, who was at the table that day? Who was there? Who? The disciples were there. Jesus is there. And the interesting thing about the book of Matthew anyways is there's only one name that's named. And who is it? Judas. Judas is the only one that's named. You notice that? And I want to make sure you understand this. Judas is Jesus' enemy. You guys get that? Judas is Jesus' enemy. And if we're sitting at the table that day, it makes me think about my enemies and how I treat them. I like the story that I heard about uh, this couple... Uh, that had been married a long time, and the man found a younger girlfriend, 20 years younger, his secretary, and he told his wife, that's it, we're done, I'm divorcing you, you have three days to get out of the house. Well, she spent the first day packing up her belongings. She spent the second day getting them loaded in a truck and taken to her new apartment. She spent the third day while her husband was off at work sitting in their home, eating shrimp cocktails, caviar, And drinking Chardonnay. She spent all day doing this. And at the end of the day. She took the shrimp and the caviar that was left over. And she went around to each of the curtain rods. And she unscrewed them and stuck the shrimp and the caviar. Inside of them and screwed the deal back on. Isn't that great? That's not the end. Of course the man and his girlfriend move into the house. And things are great for a little while. But it starts to smell very bad. And they search and look and try to find. And spend tons of money trying to figure out. Where is this smell coming from? They can't find it. They can't find it anywhere. And so uh, they, they start to decide to sell the house. And the realtors come and they try to bring people, but it stinks so bad. They can't, they can't even sell the house. Well, about this time, it had been several weeks, the wife sends a little email to her ex-husband and says, boy, I should have missed our old house. And he thinks, ah, ha I'll just get one more dig in on that woman. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll sell it to you. And he says to his girlfriend, let's make her an offer she can't refuse. So they sell it to her for a quarter of the price, a quarter of the value of the home. And she accepts. Isn't that great? I love that. Oh, that's not the end yet, though. That's not all. Okay. And so then, so then it comes to the the man and his girlfriend and they're moving out and they're loading all the stuff in. They're going to take it to their new home that they bought and they're loading up all the furniture. And he just thinks, you know, I just am going to get that woman one more time. And he takes down the ceiling fans. He just says, we're going to take everything, including the curtains and the curtain rods. (laughs) Yes. We love stories like that because deep down inside, when we think about our enemies, people who've hurt us, there's something way down in there. That's exactly what we hope for. We fantasize about her demise. We glare at her when she walks in the room. Maybe we just fall off and hit him. Maybe we're not that physical. Maybe we just talk behind their back. 
Or we plot ways to discourage them and see them fail. Maybe if we get really angry, maybe we do something to harm their property or harm their reputation. And us humans, if we get mad enough, we'll just pull out a gun and we'll shoot them. Or we'll drop a bomb on them. Because they're our enemies. We'll just do whatever it takes to get even, to get back with those people. And you go, well, I'm not quite that extreme, John. Come on, I'm not that extreme. But I'll tell you this, even at the very least, almost all of us, if you've got an enemy, and you probably do if you're honest, we avoid them like the plague. And what did Jesus do with his enemy? came and he sat down right here at the table and he sat with his enemy. Sat with his enemy. Now some of you might say, yeah, but he got back at him. I mean, he, got, he, he let him know, you're the one. And he told everybody, this guy's going to betray me. But I'll tell you what, if you read all of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you find is that doesn't look like it's what happened. Because when you get to the Gospel of John, Judas stands up to leave after Jesus has said, you're the one that's going to betray me. And nobody gets it. Nobody understands. They're all like, where's he going? Oh, he must have something to do. He has something he's got to do for Jesus. He's got to help Jesus out. See, they didn't get it. The text doesn't tell us this for sure, but I'm going I'm to go out on a limb here and say, this is what I think. This is just my opinion. We do know the text says that if Jesus sat here, that to his right sat who? John, the disciple whom he loved, because he leaned against his breast to ask him a question. And we know he sat right here beside him. I'm going to tell you this. I think it's probable that when Jesus said, you're the one, he probably was leaning over to his left and whispering to Judas, who he had invited to sit at the other place of honor right beside him. It's not I, is it, Lord? It's the one I dip with right now. You've got to be kind of sitting close to somebody to dip together in a sauce. It's the one I dip with right now. Not I, Lord. Yeah, it's you. He whispers. Now you get it, right? You get that Jesus is trying to tell us, this is how you love people. This is how you love people. He's trying to tell us right up till the last time that he has a meal on this earth. And some of you have some rough situations that you're sitting at the table. You're sitting there with a parent at your table. And that parent hasn't really treated you really like they should have, or they've done some things they shouldn't have. And it's hard to know how to love that parent. Some of you are sitting there at the table with a spouse, and that spouse has broken their vows, or they've disappointed you greatly, or they've hurt you deeply. And it's hard to know, how can I love this person I'm sitting at the table with? Some of you, it's your children. Maybe they're at home, maybe they've left a long time ago, but they broke your heart. They've rejected you, they don't call anymore, they've rejected the thing that was most important to you, and that's your your faith. And it's hard to know, how do I love these people? And that's what Jesus is showing us. This is how you love people that it's difficult to love. You, you get, this is the last meal, right? You know where Jesus is going from here, right? He's, he's leaving to go to a garden and he's going to be arrested in that garden. And he's going to be taken to a trial where a bunch of people are going to lie about him and say things that aren't true. And then they're going to hit him in the face and hit him with a stick. And then they're going to take him to Pilate and they're going to whip him almost probably within an inch of his life, and then they're going to nail him to a cross, and he's going to suffocate to death while he hangs on that cross, ashamed, naked, embarrassed, in front of his mother and the rest of the people who are laughing at him. 
while he hangs on the cross. That's where Jesus is heading from here, from this table. That's where he's going, and he knows he is. And all of that I just said starts with a kiss. It all begins with a kiss. A kiss from Judas in the garden. And so how does Jesus tell us that we should love the people that are hard to love? This is what Jesus did. He invites that person to the table. He sits that place, that person in the place of honor. Oh, and just like Dennis said, thank you, Dennis. He served Judas, his enemy. You get that? He washed Judas's feet. Wow. And if I'm sitting at the table, I got to ask myself, how am I doing and how I'm treating my enemies? Now, we've also got to talk about what's on the table. Because this text is not only about who's at the table. It's also about what's on the table. Because the things that are on the table tell a story as much as the rest of the story does. This is Passover, right? You guys got that? Passover meal. Passover is a celebration that the Israelites would celebrate and the Jews still celebrate to today. And it is the celebration of them being freed out of Egypt. We were slaves and we got out of Egypt. We got out from underneath Pharaoh. And so they have this meal and the whole meal tells a story. Well, how would it go? It would begin, it would start with some greens of some kind. We've got some parsley here. It's been some kind of herb like this. And the first thing they would do is they would take this, take the greens, and they would dip them in some water. But not just any water. They dip them in some salt water. And everybody at the table would dip in the salt water and then... Wow, that is salt water. Why would they do that? Sorry. Why would they do that? To remind them of the tears of their forefathers. To remind them of the tears of these people who were in Egypt for 400 years. You kind of think, what a bummer way to start a meal. With thinking about tears. But you know what? If we don't remember the tears from our life, it's kind of hard to enjoy the salvation, the joy of the salvation that God brings. We've got to remember the bad news so that the good news really matters. And that's part of what this story would tell. Don't forget our forefathers, all their tears, how they cried out to God for him to save. And he did. The next thing that was on the table was some unleavened bread. Okay? Matzah. And this is what we take for communion each week. It's unleavened bread. And that's what they had. It doesn't have any leaven. It has no yeast in it. And this is for at least a couple of reasons. One of them is this. It is to remind them how quickly they left out of Egypt. How quickly God's salvation came. And that's still true today, folks. God's salvation is quick. God's salvation is fast. I met with a man this week, and I'm going to tell you about him because I'm going to ask you to pray for him. And I really want to ask you, if you have a pen and paper, to write his name down somewhere. I'm at, I told him I would ask our whole church family to pray for him. I met a man this week, and I'm only going to tell you his first name. His name is Ron. He lives in our community, and he's sick. And he is pretty sure he's going to die. 
He's left to go to California yesterday with his wife to try to get a treatment there that might help him live. He is not a Christian. And he is afraid to die. And as I shared with him this week, the good news of the gospel. What is the gospel story? That Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised again. And that was for me, and that was for Ron, and that was for you. And as I explained this story to him, at one point he stopped me and he said, Wait a second now. You're not saying I could actually have this gift of eternal life right now. I mean, you have to work for it, right? You have to be a good person. You have to learn a lot about the Bible before you can get this gift of eternal life from God. No. That all that he knows about and he just said, that's all called religion. I'll work my way to heaven. The gospel truth is Jesus died in our place and it's an offer of a gift of eternal life that we can accept. And we, it can be an immediate thing that somebody could today could be your day immediately today. If you're not a Christian, you could be one today. That's how fast that's how fast God's salvation is. It's also the other thing. So, so wait, how many of you will pray for Ron? Man, thank you. I'm, I'm going to call him on the phone. I'm going to tell him what you just did. I'm going to tell him, and I told him this, I would ask you to pray for his healing physically, because we believe God can do that if that's his will, and that you would pray, more importantly, for him to accept God's gift of salvation. The other thing that this stands for, this matzah, this unleavened bread, it has no yeast, because in this time, yeast represented sin. This was a reminder every time they took this meal to get the sin out of their life. Whatever sin is there, do whatever it takes. Ask God, make whatever step we have to to get the sin out of our life. It's the same thing we remember when we break this bread. Along with remembering what Christ did for us, we remember, we examine ourselves. The next thing they would do is they would take this bread and they would dip it in a sauce. And this sauce is called a marat sauce. Okay? And... It sounds a lot like when we studied the book of Ruth. Do you remember that? We studied the book of Ruth. And Naomi said, call me Mara. What does Mara mean? Bitter. And that's what this is. This is a very bitter sauce. And I've, been, I've not been looking to this forward to this particular moment of the sermon. <laughs> Odie said it'll make my hair grow. <laughs> oh, that will bring a tear to your eye right there. I'll tell you for sure. Wow. That'll bring a tear to your eye. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be bitter. It's supposed to remind the people the bitterness of slavery. The bitterness of slavery. How horrible it would be to be in Egypt and to be a slave. And you want, you want to be a good husband. You want to be a good wife. You want to be a good parent. You want to be a good child. But you can't be. You're a slave. You might not even be around your husband or your children. You might not even see them. Slavery isolates people. And slavery still does that today. Slavery to sin still does that today. It isolates us. It keeps us from being what we want to be and what God wants us to be. This is supposed to remind them of the bitterness 
And it is not in the text at all, but I think it's possible that when Jesus said, the one I dip with right now is the one, there's a real good possibility that he and Judas were dipping in this bitter sauce. And that he was trying to say to Judas, Judas, that's a bitter, bitter road you're about to walk down. And he would say the same thing to you today. If you're stuck in some kind of way that you are just rejecting and denying and selling out Jesus, that's a bitter, bitter road. But thankfully, it's not the end of the meal. Wouldn't that be awful if that, okay, well, we're glad you came, you know, have a great day. Wouldn't that be awful? But it's not the end of the meal. Because then they would take and they would dip the matzah bread in what's called a haroset dipping sauce. A haroset dipping sauce. And boy, I've been looking forward to this right here. Mmm, sweet, sweet. And what a contrast. What a contrast with the bitter sauce. And the sweet sauce. And that's what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to give them the contrast of how bitter it is to be in slavery. But how sweet it is when God rescues us. That's God's story. And Israel's story. And I'm just going to go out on a limb. And I'm going to say that's your story. And that's my story. From bitter to sweet. From slavery to freedom. From darkness to light if we're with the lord that's what's happening in our story that's what's happening in our story now there were also four cups of wine that they had at this dinner and so these four cups all have a name and the name of the cup comes from the book of exodus chapter six and alex i believe is going to be our reader so alex come on up here alex is going to read right here at this uh at this microphone and i want you to listen for the places where god says to israel i will okay because those four there's actually five of them you can read right there at that there's five of them but two of them go together so listen for the i will and that's where we're going to get what god uh does with these four cups you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from the slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord of your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians thank you Alex good job so we got this passage from exodus where god makes these four promises that i will do these four things and here they are the first cup is the cup of salvation the cup of salvation that they would raise and it comes from the part that alex just read that said i will bring you out of the burden of egypt i'll bring you out of the burden of egypt and this is called the cup of salvation i wonder how many of you in here today have some burdens that are related specifically to your sinful choices. Because that's what Egypt represents. It represents sin. And and those sinful choices, man, they are heavy. Man, they cause us to have burdens in our life. Man, they weigh us down. And thankfully, Jesus said this. He said, all of you who are weary and you're heavy laden, come to me. And I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy 
and my burden is what? Light. Today, if you're holding on to sin in your life, and it's just burdening you down, I invite you to drink the cup of salvation. And they would have all taken a drink of that at the table. A little later, they would have come to the next cup, which would have been the cup of deliverance. This is the one where, in Exodus, he says, I will deliver you from slavery. I will deliver you from slavery. You see, Jesus doesn't only clean us up with the cup of salvation. He doesn't only wash away our sins. He also makes us free in Christ, free from sin, free from slavery. You might say, well, I don't know if I'm necessarily a slave. Well, Paul says you are. Paul says that you, in in the book of Romans, he says you are a slave to sin. Or you have another choice. You're a slave to righteousness. And you don't have a third choice. You have two choices. A slave to sin, which leads to what? Death or destruction. Or a slave to righteousness, which leads to what? Life. And today, I want to say, if you are struggling with some kind of addiction that you just can't let go of, I'm inviting you to this, what they would have raised up, to the cup of deliverance. They would have all drank from the cup of deliverance and thanked God for it. And then they would have come to the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. They would have come to this cup right here, the cup of redemption. Redeemed. To be redeemed is to be bought back to be paid for with a price. This is the part in Exodus where he says, I will redeem you with my outstretched arm or my powerful, mighty arm. And we know from Christ, he did redeem us with his outstretched arm. These people would be celebrating right here. They would be celebrating the part of the story where they killed the lamb And they put the blood over the doorpost, the Israelites did. This is called the cup of redemption. Because a lamb had to die so that the people in Israel could be redeemed. And it's interesting, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's nothing mentioned about a lamb being on the table. Now, I'm sure there was because it was Passover, and that was probably the most important part. But it's not mentioned in the Gospels. The bread, the wine, the sauces are all mentioned, but not a lamb. Because the Gospels want to emphasize to us The Gospels want to emphasize not the lamb on the table, but the lamb sitting at the table. And that lamb sitting at the table, he's the one who paid. He's the one who paid for our redemption. And he says when he raises this cup, this is the blood of my covenant, and it is poured out. It's not taken from him. Nobody forced him to die. He sacrificially poured out his blood to buy your your salvation. He redeemed. And they would have raised this, the cup of redemption. Everyone would have taken a glass, taken taken a sip of that glass. And the last one is the cup of protection or the cup of praise as it came to be known. The cup of protection or the cup of praise. And this was the one that says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And when they raised this cup, and just before we do this, because I don't want you to be distracted, I want everybody to know this is non-alcoholic, okay? I know there's some of you out there who are going, you know, what's Duncan doing up there, okay? 
There's no, there's, now, I don't believe anything wrong with drinking a glass of wine, but I'm not going to do it here at church in front of you guys, okay, uh, with alcohol in it. So this is non-alcoholic wine. Just, just relax, all right? Just chill out a little bit. Okay. They would have raised this cup because God says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. This would have been the cup of praise. And the way they would have done this is in Psalm 136. Josh, come on up here. Josh is going to read for us. In Psalm 136, they would have said this. Psalm 136 has a, a, something that goes over and over and over. It's a responsive reading. And the people say, his love endures forever. And I'm going to invite all of you to say that right now. One, two, three. His love do it one more time, nice and loud. His love endures forever. And this is how they would have read it, all 26 or 28 or 30 verses, whatever it is. We're just going to do four verses. Josh is going to read a statement, and then we're all going to say, His love endures forever. Josh? To the one who remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. And who gives... And who gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. And this would have been the cup of praise. And they would have taken, all of them would have taken their glass. And drank from the cup of praise. And I got to tell you, this non-alcoholic wine right here is sweet. Especially compared to what I was eating up here before. And do you see the progression of what's happening here? Do you see what this whole meal did that they set, that God set up? It was moving from bitter to sweet. Bitter to sweet. And that's exactly what our lives are like in Christ. They move from bitterness to sweet. And I'm going to tell you real quickly three things as we do the invitation today. Three quick things that are so sweet. The first one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness is so sweet. I'm so thankful for forgiveness. And here's the reason. Because if we were sitting around this table and we had to choose, who were we at the table? I'm going to tell you my opinion. We're Judas. You may not like that. You may think, Judas, that's a bad guy. Yeah, I guess so. And guess what? So am I. So are you. You say, yeah, but wait a second. He was the enemy of Jesus. Yeah. And guess what Paul says over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Listen to this. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's what? Enemies. When we were his enemies, if we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We are Judas sitting at this table. And God offers us, don't walk down that bitter road. He offers us a cup of salvation, a cup of redemption, a cup of praise, sweet if you've never accepted that, I'm going to encourage you in a little while when we get up and we're moving around. You come find me or you find one of our elders and you let us know, I want that. I want that quick salvation that God offers. And we'll tell you about asking Christ into your heart, asking Jesus to be your Savior and the Lord of your life. We'll baptize you into Christ right here today. The second thing that's sweet is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Not only does 
He cleans us up, but he fills us up with the Holy Spirit. And I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, he says this. Romans 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us want that hope and peace and joy. And we're looking for it in all kinds of places. But you know the place it is? It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in being filled up with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what God promises to his children. We'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is sweet. The Holy Spirit is sweet. And if that wasn't enough, God just puts a cherry on the whole thing when he says, I'm going to give you a family. Look around this room. Look across at somebody's eyes right now. Look across at your brothers and sisters. Look over there and look over there and look over there. This is a gift from God that he gave us. The family of God is sweet. How sweet it is to be loved by you. I have people all the time who tell me, I don't have to go to church to be saved, and I'm never going to argue with anybody about that point. But I'm going to tell them this, you're missing out on the sweetness. You're missing out on the family. And we're missing out on you. Because it's sweet to be loved by each other. The Bible is full of one another scriptures. I encourage you to go and look. Go see this week. Look in your Bible and see all the one another scriptures you can find. Honor one another. Be devoted to one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. On and on and on and on. There's like 10 or 15 or 20 of them. When I was a teenager, my favorite one was greet one another with a holy kiss. I was always thinking about that one pretty girl in our youth group. And I was like, yeah, I like that one, you know. Well, let me tell you today, we're not going to greet each other probably with a holy kiss. I mean, you can if you want, but that's not really what I'm asking you to do. What we are going to do is we're going to greet one another today with the sweetness of a note that you've written to someone across this auditorium. We're going to greet one another. We're going to greet one another with some hugs. We're going to greet one another with some handshakes, with some high fives. We're going to get up and we're going to walk across. And every one of you has the opportunity to participate one another in giving your note to the person here in this room. It's going to be a little chaotic. And I know some of you are probably going to sit still and you're going to be like, nope, I'm not doing this. And that's okay. You had the opportunity and you don't have to take it if you don't want to. But a lot of us are going to take the opportunity. We're going to take these and we're going to go greet one another. We're going to love on one another. And it's going to be hard to find each other because we'll be moving around. But the singing group, the worship team is going to sing for us some songs. And, and while they do, again, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you come find me or you come find one of our elders. Let's let that quick salvation, let's let it just fall in your life today. Let's stand and let's go give these notes. Greet one another. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight when those that love the Lord in one another's peace delight and so fulfill the world. When each can feel his brother's sight and with him bear a Sorrow flows from eye to eye, and joy from heart to heart. When free from envy, scorn, and pride, our wishes all above, each can his brother's failings hide and show a brother's love. Oh.